So, Patty, I really enjoyed uh, the interview today with Ben from Maverick. I love what they're doing. I love this idea of kind of the ISO in a box. And this, yeah. you know, the, the, I think, it, you know, I, I had a conversation with uh, a couple of people recently where I was like, you know, is it just me or is it getting like so easy to start an ISO? Mm-hmm. You know, so many services and, and you can outsource like everything. And it's just like, wow, like all you have to do is be able to, to make, you know, get sales and, and, you know, you can well, outsource the rest. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have software as a service. We have hardware as a service. Right. We can have sales channel as a service. Right. I mean, it's crazy. It really <laughs> crazy, is crazy. But, yeah. but it is, it's, it, it's so compelling what they're doing. I think, you know, yeah. for any, any small organization that wants to, you know, you know, a, a mom and pop sort of merchant services company could easily right. become a be, become an ISO and without it really taking a whole lot of time and money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, we move on to the questions in the field where I talk about training and kind of the balance between using training video content, which of course I'm very passionate about, but I realize that's definitely not the end all. Um, and so video training together with taking action and kind of the purpose of training and how to use it to uh, generate confidence and action and uh, get deal count. And then um, I really was, uh, again, surprised by your insider's report a little bit. Um, so talk about what, that a, a bit. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the CFPB has been sort of, you know, had been sort of dormant for four or five years. We've seen it raising its head, you know, putting out inquiries. It seems to want to have a real say in um, regulation of non-banks in the payment space. And I talk a little bit about that and relay some of the information that the CFBB has been relaying to Congress, which kind of gives us an idea of where it's going. And uh, this episode, of course, is sponsored by Bauer Paytech. Uh, you can check them out at ccsalespro.com slash B-A-L-O-R. James, what do you say we get into our episode? Let's start. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Ben Griefer. Ben is the Chief Operating Officer at Maverick Payments. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing well, James. How are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, so very excited to talk to you today about scaling up an ISO, kind of this idea of ISO in a box. I love how it has become so much easier to become your own brand and to kind of scale out your operation versus what it was 12, 13 years ago when I get into the business. But before we dive into that super interesting topic, Ben, I want to hear your backstory and a little bit about Maverick. So how did you get into this crazy industry? And tell us a little bit of Maverick uh, story as well, since I know you're integral to that. Yeah. So I got into the business over 10 years ago. Uh, we're family owned, operated. My dad actually got me in the business. He started um, another full service ISO back in 2000. And around uh, 10 years ago is when we spun off. We started Maverick. I started in sales. Um, which is why a lot of our focus is kind of on the sales aspect of empowering, you know, our agents and ISOs. Um, As the COO, I'm involved in, you know, a little bit of everything. Um, I heavily focus with our kind of strategic partners, so our agents, ISOs, that whole process, and a lot of our underwriting uh, risk operations as well. Cool. So I want to just dive into this topic and, you know, right off the bat is as we're talking about small ISOs, right? And so this could be an individual agent who is starting to like bring on a little bit of staff or bring on a sub agent. And they're kind of starting to think, you know, like, wait a second, I think I could like, I think this could be a business, you know, this doesn't have to just be a sales gig, you know, this could actually be a business. I'm just curious in your mind, when and why should they consider, you know, promoting their own brand and kind of starting to go out on their own? What are your, what are your thoughts along those lines? 
Well, I mean, you kind of said it, right, is, is you can make a legitimate business out of this, even as a sales organization. Um, and how I look at it is, you know, focus your time and energy on what obviously has the highest return. If you're a salesperson, whether you're individual or you have sub agents underneath you, you should be spending a majority of your time working with potential merchants and existing merchants. Um, and that's really been our focus is kind of sitting behind agent offices and ISO organizations to make sure they have the support from start to finish to grow their portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. So, so along those lines, and this is one of my favorite kind of debates. I, I have my opinion, everybody has their opinion, but this idea of like, okay, we, we want to scale, right? We're starting, we're a one person shop. Um, what do we do first? Do we hire the admin staff? Do I get somebody to do my installs and customer service and, and my schedule? Or do I start by hiring two or three sub agents? Like what, what are your thoughts or what are you seeing in the market today? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on how resources and time is allocated. I would say generally we see um, most of the agent offices out there are a little bit more uh, sales heavy than operations, but mm -hmm. you need to have that good balance where as a salesperson, you're not draining time doing right. customer service. There's right. times you have to do that because you mm -hmm. have relationships with these merchants, but ultimately you want to be focusing on growing the business. Right. And that's where you have to have that good balance and then understand what type of businesses are you supporting? Is it card present, card not present? Do you need additional people to help with terminals or is it primarily payment gateways? How could a company like us come in and assist with things like that where you can leverage our customer service, our technical support. Um, and we've taken a very kind of non-intrusive approach where agents and, and sub ISOs of ours don't feel threatened by introducing, you know, quote unquote Maverick. We will come in as mm -hmm. a fully branded kind of extension of that office so that they could fully leverage us. And a lot of the times they don't need to bring on as many operational people as they might think they do. Yeah, that's a great point because a yeah. lot of times you know, the reason that they're bringing in, you know, employees is to protect their own brand to say, well, I don't want my merchants speaking to a different company. I want them to have the full experience of me. And I think the other thing, Ben, as you probably have seen is even when that exists, there's still that concern uh, with a lot of companies that they're going to receive a poor experience. And it's like yeah. almost worse. Like, don't use my name. <laughs> You're going to put them on hold for 30 yeah. minutes before you talk to them. You know, so talk, talk about that. I know it's a little bit off the beaten path there, but I mean, it, it, you know, is that something you've seen as a concern for these smaller ISOs? And I assume that's something where Maverick, as you mentioned, has a little bit of a specialty there. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, it's a reciprocal re relationship. So if, if a merchant has a bad experience with us, it's going to reflect on the agent who brought that merchant to us. Right. right. So um, we focus a lot on white glove support because it, how I look at our industry, it's all relationship based us with our sales offices. And then ultimately the sales offices with the merchants who kind of come full circle back to us. So right. you need to have that kind of all in one solution where the support is good. You know, the, the statements are transparent. The deployment is, you know, it's simple and, and um, quick um, or else there's going to be one kind of friction point, which kind of ultimately causes one person or both, whether it's the agent and or the merchant, not to have a great experience. And obviously we're in a competitive industry where you have to have everything really buttoned up. Yeah. Yeah, true. Okay. So this is such a great kind of lead in where I want to go with this conversation because I really want to get granular and I want to talk about the experience of the merchant um, and, and really the sales partner, of course, along this journey, but kind of this journey of like getting a merchant on board, signing them up. 
So let's start at the very, very, very beginning. So we've got to generate interest. We've got to generate leads. Now, yep. we all know uh, feet on the street, walking into the business, doing the cold calls, um, very effective, uh, can be very effective if you're good at sales. Um, but I'm curious what you're seeing, Ben. It, as you see these um, ISOs start to grow a little larger, they start to scale. Do they shift more to affiliate referral, paid marketing? You know, what are you seeing that's working in the industry as far as lead generation and, and generating interest? Yeah, I would say a lot of what we're seeing is, you know, paid um, advertising, whether it's through um, channels like Google AdWords, um, and then also a lot of referral um, channels. So mm -hmm. depending on, you know, if it's card present, maybe something like cash discount, that's going to be a very different kind of lead source and lead generation than maybe an agent office who's working card not present, maybe high risk. Um, but ultimately, you know, a lot of it's going digital and a lot of it's uh, strong referral partners. Um, we do see, you know, uh, feet on the street. Um, I would say that's that's a little bit more old school. And I think it's a little bit more difficult, especially after COVID, mm -hmm. to have such, you know, a high success rate, maybe compared to something like hot leads coming in through uh, Google AdWords. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you don't mind, I'd love to, uh, Ben, talk about the sales process itself, okay? Yeah. You know, like, what are some of the challenges that these ISOs face you know, in terms of hiring, uh, training and activating their sales staff, you know, and what are some of the approaches and tips that you would give them um, that might help and help them through this process? I think a lot of them have um, a lacking of the right technology mm -hmm. um, and they struggle with, you know, the, the tools they need, especially to their kind of downstream subagent channel. Um, to have a, an, just an easy onboarding with their merchants. I mm -hmm. think a lot of them end up just wasting time dealing with paperwork. And we've done a lot of, you know, our emphasis about the technology, just making it much more of a seamless kind of frictionless process, which really just saves time for the agent and automates a lot of the processes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. so, yeah. And so like following up on that, you know, I would say, first of all, what is some of this technology specific? What I'm interested more is the, the sales process itself. Right. And I could be wrong, but I think you guys actually have some tech along almost like CRM or, or something along those lines. Yeah. Or, you know, talk about that a little bit as far as how do you enable them, you know, to when they're actually during the sales flow before they get the yes? What kind of tech do you have along those lines, Ben? Yeah. So our system is completely kind of workflow end to end driven. You can take in leads. Um, you can have simple embedded forms that you could throw on your website um, automatically convert them into applications and the whole process is digital. So, you know, historically an agent, they get a statement from a merchant, right? They do a cost statement analysis. They present that pricing to the merchant and there's kind of several steps back and forth. You're going to get a blank merchant application, put in those fees you presented, send it to the merchant. They're going to print it out, sign it, scan it, send it back or send it to the agent to send it through something like DocuSign. So our system automates all of those kind of friction points, eliminating the back and forth. You create an app in our digital system. It can be fully branded. Um, you put in the pricing. You could uh, send it to the merchant. It'll tell them what fields they need to uh, complete. They'll automatically be prompted to sign with their cursor, and it goes into our underwriting queue. So they don't have to worry about, say, these two, three, maybe four steps mm -hmm. back and forth. Um, and it's fully branded. So the entire experience is white labeled for that sales partner. And then a lot of the times they're eliminating cost. They're not having to pay for a vendor like DocuSign because our e-signature 
comes um, as part of our system and there's no cost for it. They could also set up unlimited sub-agents that have the same um, access and kind of flexibility. Um, so they can do the same thing with the master agent, whatever you want to call them, the admin ultimately, being able to have all the visibility they need. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I want to I want to break down here that I think I realized actually I um, I didn't have this written down on my question list, but I, I want to find out because I know a lot of people would be curious when you talk about a white labeled solution where you know they're promoting their brand. I think a lot of people would be a little confused by that just because they're thinking, okay, so I have to be a registered ISO in Correct. order to experience this. Talk about talk about that and, and the actual requirements and then how you're able to kind of pull that off because obviously you know normally they would have to be registered to use their brand. So talk a little bit about right, right. how that yeah. works and, and the requirements there. So there's a lot of, you know, systems out there where you can kind of digitize a fillable PDF, really, that's, you know, ultimately mm-hmm. a traditional yeah. PDF on the back end. So right. that's all we've done is we've, you know, white labeled this onboarding kind of form where um, it's generating a PDF on the back end. And within the e-signature process, all of the disclosures are there, you know, that Maverick is ultimately the, the ISO. But merchants, you know, a lot of the times they just get confused when you're talking from ABC Merchant Services and then you send them a PDF from Maverick. So we've been able to kind of converge this process so that the onboarding process, you know, kind of shows how both parties are are involved with one another. As Maverick is kind of this back end, you know, technology payment uh, processing company and the agent ultimately is you know, kind of this front end sales organization where we work together, um, you know, to, to fully support these merchants from start to finish. And, and to so, clarify so, that, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to clarify too. So you go ahead. Yeah. And I was just going to say to clarify, you don't have to be registered ISO in order to do that. Correct. Right. Yes. And, and there's and other CRMs out there that have a similar experience where we've been successful is really from a cost perspective, right? When you look right. at a lot of the software companies out there that have kind of a SaaS model, you know, they're charging per seat or per user. So mm-hmm. if you have, say, 10 or 15 sub-agents, you might end up paying a couple thousand dollars a month just in software fees. Then you throw in DocuSign. So our system eliminates all of that because ultimately we're looking to bring on, you know, the, the, the merchant as a client. Um, and we've built all this technology in-house. So we have a lot of flexibility with our cost. To us, it's an investment to go out and be able to, you know, bring on these, these agents with, supporting them and kind of empowering them with the tools they need. So you say, you know, early on ISO in a box, this is kind of an ISO in a box solution, um, which ultimately is making their lives a lot easier and it's a lot more scalable for them as well. Right. But just to clarify on the branding, if you don't mind, Ben, I'd list. So what you're saying is, is like ABC merchant services. So like if I was the merchant and I'm receiving the the application right to sign mm-hmm. it, um it's going to be some you know an electronic pdf form that up on the top will say abc merchant services and patty murphy right you know yep. agree blah 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 and then somewhere else within the text um it refers to maverick as sort of the back end is that what you're saying i mean yep, exactly. I, to me I, I mean that's the to me that seems like a really important consideration in terms of diluting your brand. You don't want to dilute your brand by bringing in these other names. So what you're saying is, is the brand's going to be up top. Maverick's going to be someplace down lower. Exactly. And that's what we've wanted to um, accomplish. Ultimately, we mm-hmm. wanted our agents to feel really confident in the solution and not, you know, have any kind of like hesitancy where, 
they're like, oh, maybe we don't want to do this because it's more of a co-branded solution right. or there's still going to be questions from the merchant on who Maverick is. You know, when they get the whole um, onboarding process uh, emailed to them, it's all branded in a way where it's just very kind of fluid and it's very mm -hmm. easy to explain um, mm -hmm. and you eliminate a lot of friction that you traditionally would have in kind of the older school onboarding right. process. Sure, sure. Great. So, so once we get this beautiful branded white labeled agreement signed and uh, we, we send this in, right. Um, talk about the underwriting. I know you guys have a bit of a different approach here, especially as it relates to maybe medium to higher risk type accounts, but talk about your underwriting process and maybe what you've done there that you feel like is beneficial to some of these offices that are looking to scale. Yeah. So um, we kind of split it up between, you know, the traditional quote unquote lower risk merchants. And then yes, we do have um, the ability to support higher risk. So low risk to us is, you know, it's it's very quick, it's very easy. Um, we've done a lot of integration with um, other technology tools out there to identify, you know, um, the identity of, of the businesses, the owners, bank account uh, authentication, where mm -hmm. ultimately a lot of the times all we need is that digitally signed application and we can do all the verification we need on the back end for a very quick and easy approval. Um, the system will, you know, pretty much prompt the merchant on what documents are most likely needed based on transaction method, monthly volume, the whole um, onboarding is dynamic. Um, so if you put, you know, the principal owns 10%, it's going to ask them for a second one. Um, we've built it so it's very, um, you know, kind of dumbed down to the merchant where um, it walks them through what information there need is needed. And when it comes into our underwriting process, We've automated so many of the, you know, traditional kind of junior underwriting type items with the KYC inquiries, mm -hmm. uh, those types of things, ultimately allowing us to onboard accounts quicker. And we've done a lot of automation too on the back end when we onboard accounts to get, you know, the bar sheets issued quicker, um, the accounts boarded, you know, uh, quicker. Ultimately, terminals can get deployed faster because um, nowadays people are so used to dealing with technology where you know nearly everything is instant so mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to emulate here as well instantaneousness yeah. yes yeah and so so then you know they you, you get the account through underwriting it gets approved and now we've got to get this equipment out um i would imagine that you know one of the probably interesting things about what maverick does is that you're working with all these individual offices and i would imagine that a lot of them have different opinions about how involved or, or uninvolved they want you to be as it relates to installation and and onboarding and things of that nature so talk about how you kind of navigate that for us yeah so we've done a, a really good job at having kind of a customizable approach so we have some larger offices they might be doing um, higher end point of sale systems so they're doing a lot of the deployment themselves right. and uh, we'll have others where you know maybe they're doing cash discount we're deploying simple standalone deja vus so we can be fully dynamic in a way where, um, again, our, our goal is ultimately to accomplish them. Um, right. We even could brand incoming calls. So we have certain offices where when you call their toll-free number, there's an option for support that forwards to us. And when that comes through our phone system, it actually shows what uh, agent that is so we can pick up on their behalf. So for us, it's not cookie cutter. Um, it's very much a way to support how their process works based on their clientele um, and, and ultimately how their, you know, entire um, uh, solution is, is positioned to the merchant. Yeah, yeah. I, that Because that, that was the question I was going to bring up, because it seems to me that support can kind of be tricky when you have these ISOs that each have their own 
sort of different ways and requirements along this way. So what you're saying is, even though it's automated, it's not a cookie-cutter approach or some sort of like intelligence in the background that can um, modify these to uh, keep the brand uh, ever so in front of the, um, of the client. Correct. I mean, how we've taken our kind of position is we're really behind every office we have in any capacity they want us to support them. We have some agents, if um, a merchant wants to cancel, we do full retention for them. We have others where if the merchant calls us, you know, asking about fees or statement questions, whatever it is, they get forwarded to that office. Other offices, you, you know, hit five for support, for example, when you call their toll-free number, it comes into us, we pick up on their behalf. So we fully right. customize, you know, based on what that ISO is looking for, um, because to me, you can't really apply a cookie cutter approach. Every agent office right. out there is doing something completely different to differentiate yeah. themselves from other agents. They're working with, you know, right. retail versus card not present. Um, you know, even the card present world is is different with, sure. you know, standalone, standalone terminals versus high end POS. So mm -hmm. everything needs to be customizable so that it really supports ultimately what that agent and their solution is, you know, being sold to the merchant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Um, last question for you, Ben. Um, any final kind of insights, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, your position is, I think, interesting because you've worked with so many of these kind of up and coming aspiring, you know, uh, individual agents or small ISOs that are trying to, to grow and scale. Um, anything in particular that stands out to you about the ones that actually pull it off versus the ones that don't that you share with our audience? Yeah, I would say the ones, um, that we've seen are really successful, have very good um, operational processes in place um, and staffing. Um, mm -hmm. Whether they want us to come on, you know, kind of come on and, and help with support or deployment, whatever it is, they at least have the processes really ironed out where to the merchant, it's a streamlined process, whether mm -hmm. we're doing support or they are. Where we've seen, um, you know, kind of just scalability, I guess, growing pains mm -hmm. and issues, is they're too top heavy with sales where they ultimately can't deliver a good experience to the merchant, whether right. it's facilitated through us or done in house. Um, other yeah. than that, it's been, it's been really successful. Uh, we've also built, you know, the ability for them to set up um, other, you know, kind of manager admin level type people, whether they have customer service right. manager, you know, um, a controller doing the residuals, whatever it is, so they could have all the proper permissions in place. Um, you could even have a sub agent office, get their own white label. So we have some larger offices, for example, that might have inside salespeople, and then they could have another, you know, five branched off individual, individual offices that have their own white labeling. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's a lot of flexibility on our end. And that's where we've been successful is just kind of helping these offices mold a solution that really is built around how their, you know, sales model works. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, stuff. yeah, Ben, it's been very, very insightful. I'm sure a lot of people in our audience are going to want to learn more about Maverick, learn more about you. Where would you send them to find out more about your programs? Yeah. So um, either maverickpayments.com uh, or sales at maverickhq.com, HQ as in headquarters. Got it. Awesome. Love it. Ben, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time to share your insights with our audience today. I know they got a lot of value out of it, as did I. So thanks again for taking yeah. the time. I learned awesome. a lot, Ben. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> Thank you. So 
so Patty, uh, of course, this episode brought to you by Valor Paytech, ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R. Um, new integration announcements. They're working right now. Valor's uh, coming, getting really close at the time of this recording to announcing integration with EPX and EPI. Oh, excellent. Um, two of the most popular ones. And they already have so many integrations with various yeah. platforms. Right. Um, and I think that's one thing that, that really sets them apart. I, I think there's an interesting kind of dichotomy right now in the industry between processing companies who want to build technology mm-hmm. versus just integrating with processor agnostic yeah. technology companies. Right. And so far, I would definitely say that the processor agnostic technology companies are are winning this particular battle. Not to, you know, that's not to say that there aren't processing companies that are doing well with technology, but sure. you know, um, there's some, just some really good stuff. And I think Valor is a great example of that mm-hmm. where, you know, for the agent out there, I mean, you can literally make, some, you know, you can really get a great technology suite um, as an ISO. You can provide a technology suite to your mm-hmm. agents that's fully integrated with whatever platform you're working with. Um, and so if you wonder if your platform is currently supported and integrates with the Valor suite of omni-channel technology solutions, just head over to ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R, request a demo, check it out. I think you'll like it. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So Patty, today I just want to talk about training. And I mm-hmm. want to talk specifically about video training and in the field training. We have a great episode coming up. I believe it's next week with Logan mm-hmm. Peters from Beyond where we talk a little bit more about how they're training. Right. But you know, I'm kind of the king of video training in the industry right now. Of course. Um, I have my six-week jumpstart program, which has got, you know, I don't know, 35 hours. I know you've taken a look at it as well. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Um, it's at least 35 hours. Yes, it's a lot. It feels like it feels like, it feels right like 100. <laughs> um, so I have a lot of training out there. And I think there's a tendency to go extreme here. Uh, and people will say, well, I'm just going to watch lots, lots of video. And then other ISOs are like, well, that's a waste of time. We're just going to send them out in the field and let them get mm-hmm. started. So I want to talk about the key and kind of this cycle of learning that you want people to go through in order to really effectively uh, train them. So, you know, the first step is they do need to go through extensive training up front because they're going to need that to have the confidence to be right. able to get out in the field. And the, um, and the concepts. And the concepts, yes. Right. And I think everybody is a little bit different in this area. You know, there are some agents who, some people, salespeople, you know, show me two hours of content, you know, two hour webinar, and I'm ready to go hit the ground and, and see, you know, how, see what this is all about. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Other people like me want to be more of the expert. And so they're going to want to go through a lot more, but no matter what, what I found is kind of similar is when people go through a pretty significant amount of training up front and, you know, for the six week jumpstart, I have about probably 12 hours of, of video content that really goes through kind of the whole industry. And it's, it's a lot of information mm-hmm. and you might think, well, that's information overload. And you're right. They're not going to remember more than 20% of it. Right. But right. the way that it makes you feel, and this is what psychologists have told us about training content. The way it makes you feel is I'm an expert. Right. I've gone through all this video. I mean, 12 hours. I know what I'm talking about. I'm ready to go. 
And that's the confidence they need to take action. So there's an initial amount. Now you could do that with kind of in-person, you know, training for a two-day thing. You could do it with mm-hmm. my video training and white label our uh, learning management system and go, you know, design your course based on my content there. But the idea is they need that upfront training that gives them the confidence to take action. They go and take action. Well, then what happens when they take action is they realize they don't know as much as they thought. Right, right. They realize they forgot a lot of stuff, but it gives them awareness as well. So when they go through the video training, they have that awareness to say, you know, I think I remember watching a video that James said about this. So the merchant says, you know, um, the merchant might say, you know, I keep seeing on my statement this, you know, level two B on here. What is that? And it only takes one time for the agent to kind of think, you know, that's a great question. I'm going to check on that and get back to you. Right. And they're like, what was that? I remember James talked about that. Then they go into our, our searchable learning management mm-hmm. system. They already watched all these videos up front. They search level two. They see my videos on interchange optimization. Right. Right. They watch it. This is why I'm a big believer in short videos. Bite you know, size. Yeah. You do a two hour webinar and record it. People have a question. They come back. They're not going to watch the whole two hours again to find that one thing. Mm-hmm. But you want to have short videos, not because it's more effective initially, but because it's it's searchable. Right. So then you're, the people can come back later. They can search the content. And, oh, yeah, there's that video course. There's that video on that one topic that I needed to see again. Right. right, right so right. that's the way you want it is you want this back and forth where you have a, a you know, a block of training up front. Mm-hmm. Then that training leads into action. And that's a, that's a constraint. I mean, like, and you know, this Patty going to the six week jumpstart training, you know, when you get to about 12 hours in, I'm very clear. That's the end of day two training day. Now three you is need to go out, take action, go out. Right. If you're not going to, if you're not going to prospect stop right here, right. Don't do anything else. Cause now we're going to get into advanced topics that you're not going to understand at all. If you mm-hmm. don't have the foundation of going out in the field, selling merchants, understanding what that's like. Um, and so you get to a point where you take action and then they're going to come back and rewatch some of the initial stuff right. and kind of get the, the foundation then and only then they're ready to move forward. So it's that cycle of training, then action, then circling back with questions where they're going to search the training they already watched to really internalize it. They take more action. Then they're going to get to a point where they say, you know, I want to learn more so right. I can grow. Well, now you provide more videos and they do, right. you know, so it's that process of training, taking action, searching, you know, taking action, training, you know, so it's it going round and round like that. And so I think when you approach it that way and design your process around that, I think it can be very, very effective. I think so too. Thanks, James. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So James, I know we've discussed this a little bit in the past, but the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has its site set on big tech. Right. Now, the CFPB, as it's known, was created under the Dodd-Frank Act. That's a law gave the Bureau, among other things, authority to supervise non-banks whose activities the Bureau has reasonable cause to determine pose risk to consumers. That's a pretty broad definition. Pretty broad. It's not specific to any particular consumer financial product at all. So uh, last fall, kind of banking on this, you know, um, pardon the pun. I was about Um, to say, (laughs) The Bureau sent uh, letters out to uh, big tech, Amazon, Google, Facebook, 
Apple and Block, I believe, were all the ones inquiring about their consumer payments activities. And, you know, we kind of talked about this as, you know, sort of like opening the door to regulation, um, which it seems is true because in April, the CFPB said it would begin looking at fintechs to determine the risks they pose to consumers and in order to help them level the playing field between banks and non-banks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Language. Yeah. And it all came up during a hearing, you know, one of the things about, you know, I, one of the things I learned when I was covering uh, Washington was all these most boring hearings in the world are always the ones where the agency heads have to come into the committee that has jurisdiction over, you know, the congressional committee right. that has jurisdiction and report on what they're doing. Right. But sometimes when you read these things, they're very interesting. Um, and so I thought this was interesting in the testimony that uh, CFPB Director Rohit Chopra said last month. Um, to the Senate Banking Committee, he said, quote, um, actually, no, he said this in, yeah, he said this in April um, when he was talking about big tech. He said, quote, given the rapid growth of consumer offerings by non-banks, the CFPB is now utilizing a dormant authority to hold non-banks to the same standards that banks are held up to, is what he said. So, um, wow. And I think this kind of goes back to, you know, the uh, CFPB was created under the under the Dodd-Frank Act, but it never really got its wings, so to speak, until like 2012, 2013. Well, by the time 2016 rolls around, we have a new president who didn't really like the CFPB that much and sort of like diminished its authority. So right. now it's, you know, under Biden administration, of course, CFPB was created. It was a uh, favored product by Elizabeth Warren, who's, a, you know, part of the Democratic hierarchy. So I think it stands a reason that we're going to see more action like this. Yeah. And yeah. Um, there were a couple items. So he, he had to give this testimony um, on what the agency is up to um, in, in May. And uh, a couple items from his uh, testimony. I think provide some insight on where the bureau is headed. Um, you know, basically what he said was that without regulation, the U.S. could be headed toward a consolidated market structure where big tech calls all the shots. And here's the quote that I that really struck me. He said, "Quote: Currently, the United States is lurching towards a consolidated market structure where finance and commerce commingle." fueled by uncontrolled flows of consumer data. Uh, He he likened it to the market structure in China where Alipay and WeChat Pay dominate. Right. Right. right? And he said, quote, the outsized influence of such dominant tech conglomerates over the financial services ecosystem comes with risks and raises a host of questions about privacy, fraud, discrimination, and more. And um, he said that, you know, this information that they're gathering from big tech, quote, will contribute to the critical policy discussions about the future of consumer finance and relationship banking in our country. Mm. Now, I really caught on to that word also, relationship banking, because that's sort of a, it is a consumer relationship, but it's also business relationships, right? Right, right. So another interesting comment that Chopra made uh, pertained to businesses that might seem to be outside of 
its jurisdiction. And he said that the Bureau is, quote, engaging with a broad range of other businesses and associations, close quote, including retailers as it plots its future initiatives. Hmm. Quote, while these industries generally engage in business practices that fall outside the scope of the CFPB's authority, they are deeply affected by the laws the agency administers. Now, I read this, you know, as if, you know, CFPB could enter the war of words over interchange. For sure. And, uh, you know, only time will tell, but it sure. Yeah, it definitely seems like the number of kind of enemies are mounting to the kind of status quo of, of the way things are done. Yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, like I said, I was reading through this testimony and I thought, hmm, there's some really interesting undercurrents there. And, yeah, for sure. and I do believe that that's something we should look out for. I mean, on the one hand, I mean, as a as, a, as sort of a pro-banking kind of person, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the banking franchise on payments, it's always worried me to see these big tech mm-hmm. companies getting involved in payments without the proper regulatory authority. Right. Um, on the other hand, you know, if it takes its, its If they charge, get regulated, we get regulated. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, a lot of things to follow with this stuff. And I'm sure you'll keep us in the loop. Sure will. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.